Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 126 for August of 2022. Eric is not with us. Uh, Garrett is. Hi, Garrett. How you doing? Hey, not too bad. We were going to have actually, we thought four of us on this and things kind of fell apart at the last minute. So we're kind of winging it. But Eric, you've, you've got some stuff going on and so do I. So I think we can. Yeah. You called me Eric. <laughs> Uh, Garrett, I've been called worse. <laughs> Garrett is here, not Eric. Uh, how's it going? Good. Just enjoying the last of my days off before I go back to work. So, uh, yes, you work those. What do you do? Like uh, three twelves every week. Yeah. So, and unfortunately, I'm moving back to night shift. Also, mm. so I, I, I switched to day shift probably like eight months ago. Well, I'm taking a new position at my work and it's a position they're difficult to get because there aren't very many of them, but it's the only shift in this department. The only shift available is night shift. So I'm going to go to night shift. So uh, I'll be back on nights. Not really looking forward to it, but to get into the department, I think it's worth it. Okay, so. good deal. Um, let's talk about some workshop updates. Okay. I don't have a whole lot of updates, but, um, I've sort of figured out that my garage at home, it's a, just like a regular three car garage. It's not deep. It's not wide. It's just, you can fit three Japanese sedans in it with, Mm -hmm. you know, not a whole lot of extra room. And I had thought that I would use the single bay as my little home motorcycle uh, workshop. Right. I remember you were really excited when you kind of brought yeah. in this lift and. Yeah. And, but I figured out it's, it just can't work. Not with a family garage and my kids with their bicycles and everything else that happens. It's just my space gets invaded by things and clutter and toys. And so I'm moving home operations out of the home um, and back into the regular shop. At least you have a separate shop. That's not it's something true. a whole lot of people yeah. can say they have. So it's just, it's, you know, it's like a 15 to 20 minute drive from my house. Mm, yeah. So it's, it's close, but it's like, it, it's hard. Cause if I go there, I have to commit to going there and I don't want to just go for 30 minutes. Right. And come back. It's a whole lot easier to yeah go out in the garage for a little bit and get something done. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so I have um, my Kenny Roberts RZ 350 loaded in the back of a trailer right now in front of my house because I'm sort of clearing a couple of the motorcycles that I had in my garage out. And I'm just. Um, now, did you ever get the tank fixed on that? Because that had. Well, that was- no. And it, that's actually been weighing on me quite a lot because that is the only thing this motorcycle needs to, to be able to enjoy. And I have this beautiful Kenny Roberts RZ sitting here and all it needs is a gas tank. I had the gas tank stripped and there is a very small amount of rust that needs to be repaired in the bottom of the tank. And to really to do it properly, I have to cut out the bottom and put a little patch panel in it. And then I will have to repaint the tank. So it's really thin steel and I am not good enough to weld it flawlessly. And so I don't really want to try this repair. 
I would rather have like a sheet metal fabricator, you know, for like auto body. Um, that's really good at TIG welding, thin metal, do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because I know I'm going to burn holes in it and it's just going to make it that much harder of a repair. I just don't want to challenge myself with, you know, an RZ350 gas tank that's difficult to replace. Right. Um, and so I need to find someone and I've had some referrals, but Nothing that's really like sparked me to be like, oh, I am going to this person to drop this tank off right now. Um, so it's sort of just been kind of waiting for me to discover someone to take it to. And I'll even ship it. So if anyone listening to this knows of a really good, reputable sheet metal worker, um, I'm happy to pay to have it repaired. Yeah, so I'm unloading my garage. I'll take it all back to my shop and kind of get things all set up over there. That's about it. Anything on your hot rod, on your roadster? Um, no, so I got the, the chassis is all built. Oh, I did get an engine for it, which I went and picked up. Uh, Are you hitting the easy button or you're just going to do a small block Chevy? Well, I was, <laughs> I was going to hit the sort of easy button and actually do an LS engine, but disguise it as something different. Um, you can remote mount the coils and do cloth spark plug wires. And I was going to uh, just do a carburetor, but hide it with the oil bath air cleaner to just make it all look, you know, old, but no, I ended up finding a um, 302 Ford small block Ford motor. Oh, okay. It's a good running motor. It's a Ford. It belongs in a Ford. It won't offend anybody. So that's, and so I just picked up the motor. Um, well, I, I halfway expected you to say something really bizarre, like, you know, a nail head or a, yeah. a Pontiac Sprint overhead cam six yeah. or something really bizarre. No, the car is supposed to be uh, like a sort of traditional. Well, a nail head, that was like yeah no and that's actually a, that was the business in in the 50s and so. it would be an amazing engine to use but this also has to be very inexpensive oh, okay and this motor doesn't need machining or anything it's just ready to go so a good friend of mine his younger brother is kind of a nailhead freak and he mm -hmm. he's got yeah. several of them that he's ported and yeah. done all kinds i mean for being an old kind of low efficiency low-tech engine there you can make some power out of it. oh yeah yeah uh i've been working on the bride yes i've actually gotten a lot of little things done i mounted the muffler and the properly mounted the heat shields on the exhaust and um got the rear fender i just it's a plastic you know generic plastic dirt bike rear fender but i put that on put the tail light and the license plate mount on it, uh, mounted the turn signals on it, uh, drew up a wiring diagram. For the time being, it's just going to have total loss lights on it mm -hmm. because the, the engine already has a self-contained ignition system. It's not like I need anything additional to run the engine. So I've got a high output stator and, and flywheel for it. For right now, to get it up and running, mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. I had a side stand, and I have no idea where it came from. I don't even remember when I ever got it, but I've had it for years. It, it unused, 
side stand. I have no idea what it's off of. And I don't even recall how I ever ended up with this. It must have been in a box of parts that I bought. Like a kickstand side stand? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like a kickstand. But it was too short. So I cut it, put it in the lathe and turned it down so that it would fit inside a fairly thick walled piece of tubing that I could use to extend it. Mm -hmm. I finally, the other day online, I just happened to look and something popped up in a Google search. I was like, oh my goodness, that's the side stand that I have. Wow. It's from a GL 1800. How I ever ended up with a new old stock <laughs> Goldwing 1800. Yeah. I have no idea, but it was in a box for like years. Yeah. Anyway, so I got that done and I was really frustrated because I was going to use snail adjusters for the, for the rear, uh, for the chain adjustment on the rear wheel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I needed to put some little stops for the, you know, something to positively locate the snail adjuster on the little scallops. And I was going to use six millimeter socket head screws, drilled out one side, tapped it, put the screw in. I'm like, great. Went over to the other side, drilled it out, got about halfway in and broke the tap off. Oh man. I'm like, Oh, so anyways, I did order one of those uh, Wilton tap extractors, even though everybody says they don't work, I'm going to give it a shot. It's going to be here in a week. If it doesn't, I'm going to just simply use different adjusters that, you know, the kind that you normally see on a Japanese bike that have the the screws on the back. Yeah. I'm just going to go with those and just not worry about what I was going to do. So I've got another plan B, but the tank, the seat, the fenders, all the body work is properly mounted. So I've actually made some good progress and I'm getting pretty close to where I, I mean, right now I could put oil in the engine and start up the engine, mm-hmm. but I need to get the chain adjusters sorted out so I can put a chain on it before it's actually going to have any forward motion. And then I got to figure out CVD tuning that I know nothing about. You know, it's, oh, you mm-hmm. need the orange spring. You need the red spring. You need the blue spring. I don't know. So yeah, anyways, trial and error. So anyways, it's, it's at least looking like a finished motorcycle. So, oh, and I, I'm in the process of hooking up a CT70 speedometer. I don't know if you recall, but I bought a CT70 speedometer for the 125 when I was working on that. And it's been in a drawer forever. And I'm like, 50 mile an hour top speed. Sure. Great. That's as fast as I'm ever going to drive this. Yeah. And your front wheel has a little speedo cable. And yeah, actually I just got an interceptor 250, which would have been stock for the wheel. And it's the same ratio and screws right into the, to the speedo where they're both Honda parts and it's yeah. all standard. So that should work. And I'll, I've got a GPS speedo. I can verify how accurate it is. So, mm-hmm. so I'm just, working at it little by little. And it's actually, I want to say that it's close, but I know that's going to jinx it. It's one of those, you know, that saying 90% done, 90% to go. Yeah. So anyways, so that's what I've been up to. Uh, my bull taco engine is still off at uh, Ralph Weidling's uh, shop. And I talked to him several times about what we want to do. And unfortunately, He's got an earlier engine, but 
when we were talking about it, I'm putting this in a late frame. They changed the rear mounting. So you have to actually take a hole saw and cut away the rear mounting boss on the back of the engine, which I did to an old set of crankcases that were junk just to make sure that I could do it. And he's like, oh, I'll do that for you. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know how much it's going to cost or when it's going to be done. So that's all up in the air. But mm-hmm. hopefully sometime late this summer, early fall, I should be able to have a bike to ride. And I'm hoping about that time to get the engine back so I can work on the other one. So, yeah, making some good progress. Getting back to what you were saying about uh, you're thinking about a new bike. Yeah. I want to get something, you know, modern and something I can use and ride and like, Ultimately, I want something that I can ride a relatively long distance on and be comfortable, but something that you don't have to push hard to go freeway speed. I think it would be neat to like have some kind of off-road capability, but it's also not an absolute requirement. Um, And so I've been thinking about a motorcycle, really the you know, yeah, it's kind of the best bang for your buck, something that can do a lot, you know, if there is the most functional motorcycle, uh, what would it be? And not just functional, but, you know, that has performance and doesn't have to be the cheapest thing, but I don't really want to buy a Multistrada. Are you thinking a fared bike, naked, uh, adventure, dual sport? Well, yeah. What genre are we talking? Uh, you know, I'm sort of open to most actually. Um, I've thought about an adventure bike and I've thought about things like, well, probably not the, uh, the, what is it? The 1298 adventure, probably not one of those. Cause that's getting pretty expensive and pretty big. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a lot of bike for just right. tooling around on, but maybe something like the 1190, or the, no, the 1090. I mean, the 1190, they don't make anymore. I think it's now a 1090 adventure, possibly an Africa twin, but I, I'm shocked at how much those are now. Even something like an Aprilia Tuano, if that my, my issue with the Tuano is, you know, I've got enough seat time in one. They're comfortable enough. If you're comparing it to a sport bike, it's comfortable. People will always remark on how comfortable it is. But in, that's in context, I think, because it is not really that comfortable to ride, in my opinion. Um, not to mention the fuel economy and the fuel range is absolutely atrocious on a Tuano. I think on a tank, you can get about, at real world, 120 to 130 miles, which is just not enough. Um but it's also an Aprilia Tuano. So does any of that even matter because it's a Tuano? I don't know. Um, I've thought about uh, more of like a a straight up touring uh, bike, you know, something kind of like a Goldwing. Um, But, you know, that's just a mile muncher. It doesn't really do a whole lot else. So what do you, what are you thinking you want power wise? Are you thinking definitely Mm. like a thousand or bigger? You're looking at some of the, you know, eight, eight, 900 CCs. Yeah. I've sort of looked at like, I'm not as familiar with the new Yamaha models, but they used to make an FJO nine 
And now I think that there's a Tracer 900. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, do they make a Tenure with that CP3 motor? Do you know, like a 900cc Tenure? I think, no, I think, I think that's coming. I don't think that's something they have now. Mm, Because something like that could be pretty cool. Um, You know, so like that would be a little over 100 horsepower, you know, that would have off road capability, sort of a lively engine. So, a tenure with that kind of engine, if if that exists, or if it might exist in the future, that could be a good option. What about like like the BMWs, the XRs, the S one thousand XR, and the F nine hundred XR? Yeah, where there's the X XR one thousand, or yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, that, the four cylinders, the S one thousand. Well, what would a slightly used one of those cost? Do you think? I honestly don't. I. I know the big thing with BMWs is they have different specs and they vary so widely in price yeah. from the base model to the to the really tricked out model. I mean, sometimes the top of the line is 160% of the base model. So yeah, it all depends on what features it has and you know the yeah. suspension and the electronics and stuff. I'm not really that into inline four engines just because of the characteristics of the motor. I will say that. The one complaint about the thousand is that it's got that four cylinder real tingly vibration when you really rev it up. I mean, it's a yeah. really, really buzzy motor. Yeah. But they have the they have the twin. They have the the F nine hundred. I don't know how much horsepower it makes, but yeah, you know, they're something that's sporty that's still going to have high enough bars and a comfortable enough rider triangle on it that you could yeah. ride it long distances. Is there anything Japanese that even really compares to something like that. I'm, I'm thinking the Tracer 900 GT. Yeah. Um, what else would there be? Unfortunately, it would be that sport touring bike. I can't think of the nomenclature on it because we don't get it yet, but the Africa twin motor in the street oh. bike, we had talked about it, I think, on a recent podcast. The NT 1100. Right. Um, Kawasaki really doesn't have anything in that. I mean, you go from the 650 versus to the thousand versus, which is the Ninja 1000 motor, mm-hmm. which I think is not what you're looking for. What about the, uh, triumph, like the scramblers, the Bonneville based scramblers. Yeah. What is it? The XRX. This, yeah. There was the scramblers, but then triumph also has their own adventure bikes. Um, well, the, they've got the the 660, you know, they've got the Trident and the 660 Sport something, the one with the, it's basically the same thing with the fairing. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that's going to be as much power as you want, but the 1200 twin from, from Triumph is actually a really nice motor. I mean, it's got, it's got some oomph to it mm-hmm. and they've got that. They've got a street scrambler. Um, I can never keep them straight because they keep messing with the, there's an XE and an XC. One of them is kind of a 90, 10 dual sport. And one of them is more of a aggressive off-roader with taller forks and shocks and knobby tires, knobbier tires. But I've heard really, really good things from people who've ridden them. So how much distance do you think you could tolerate a rocket three for? <laughs> Oh, I think you could take a rocket three across the country. I mean, oh, yeah? 
The problem is as soon as you get off of the road and you want to park it somewhere and I mean, it's so big. It, it is to sit on it. It's like, Oh yeah, I want, I would go out on, you know, not necessarily interstate, but even like a two lane U S highway. Yeah. That'd be great. But as soon as you get into a position where there's a light every quarter mile trying to get in and out of a shopping center to go eat lunch, mm-hmm. I think that would just be so much bike to have. I mean, that would make a the big KTM adventure bikes look small. Right. That reminds me, we were in Yellowstone last weekend and there is someone riding a Royal Enfield with a sidecar oh, wow. on it with for his dog. Oh, wow. Right. But also we were at like 7,500, 8,000 feet elevation. And the guy, I, I can't imagine that Royal Enfield had enough power to get up those hills with a sidecar on it. Because at that elevation, boy, I don't know. He was uh, probably using every one of the horsepowers it had um, at any rate. I, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but we are going to get the CF Moto 800 MT. Oh, really? That's the KTM motor, not the one based on the Kawasaki motor. Yeah. The one that we had talked about that we saw, we watched uh, Kajron Two Wheels done a review right. of it and a couple of the other places. Yep. Uh, they've announced that we are going to get that. And that's a whole lot of bike for the money. I don't know if that's as much motor as you want. I mean, it's just basically the same thing as a 790 adventure motor. I would personally take that over the 650. Um, there's the 700. There's the mm-hmm. CLX 700. Yep. yep. That, that uh, if you don't go with the sport and you go with what is called everywhere, but the United States, the heritage, I think that's a bike you could put some serious miles on and it's not too big i'm not sure it's going to have the power you want that's you know it's that's my concern it's with it it's a overboard 650 versus motor so yeah you know Mm -hmm. i don't know uh i think we've gone through most of the manufacturers yeah uh what about a v-strom 1000 yeah you know that's actually a good suggestion I really like the redesign that they did last year on them. Right. I think they're really attractive and they've been around forever. I mean, the basic engine's been around for 20 years. Yeah. And are they still a V twin? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same engine they've used in the V stroms forever. Yep. Yep. And they've got a off roadier version, the XT, the 1050 XT. Mm -hmm. And it's got, wire spoke wheels and you know the the aluminum hard bags um yeah i do really like and i am not a fan of yellow but the yellow with the blue seat and the gold wheels oh that is like really traditional suzuki yeah, you know yeah it's a and that looks really good <laughs> yeah and that's it's you know hard to beat out of out of all the ones we've talked about that would be one that i would really seriously consider if i were yeah. looking for something now it's not going to have the power of a S1000XR, but it's not shabby either. I don't think that you would feel really pushed to um, overtake a car, you know, on the highway. I don't know how much. I, I want to say I think they make 100 horsepower, 105, something like that. It's probably right around there. That, that would be competitive with most other 1,000cc adventure motorcycles. Yeah. That's, that's probably the one I would think about. Uh, well, our friend Jim, he had a V-Strom, an older V-Strom 1000 that he 
I think he put 50,000 miles on it or something like that before yeah. he, he ended up going to a Africa twin with the DCT. Yeah. And I'm not sure he would go back, mm-hmm. but we should have on and you could pick his brain about what to get. Oh yeah. He knows that'd it. be good. Cause he's had experience on Africa twin and Beast room. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe see if I can line him up. We'll, we'll have yeah. him on as a guest and we'll, we'll, ha- we'll we delve into this more with somebody who actually has some more experience with him. Yeah. Uh, did you see that uh, it was actually late last night uh, as we record this? Can Am announced new electric motorcycles. Mm-mm. They have announced an electric street bike and an electric adventure bike, the Pulse and the Origin. And they're going to be under the Can Am name. Yeah, but I was going to ask, but who's manufacturing it? Actually, they are. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Going to be here in 2024. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding. It's like vaporware, you know? Yeah, right. A lot of people have complained about Moto Guzzi introduced or made in the big announcement about their, whatever their new liquid cooled engine is like a year and a half, two years ago. And they're mm-hmm. just now letting journalists ride prototypes. It's like, oh, you, you really shot your wad way too early on this yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, I think BSA did the same thing. The Mahindra announcement of the new BSA Gold Star, they made this big splash and then nobody heard anything for, I think, close to a year. And now they're just now saying, I, th- I think it's this fall, they're going to have some in the UK with no announcements of when they're going to be available in the States. Yeah. So have they released any details about what these motorcycles will do? Uh, unfortunately, they haven't. The hard numbers, no. They look really nice, except for the instruments that look horrible. That looks like they didn't finish the housing. And it's a giant rectangular plate that just looks awful. Other than that, they look really cool. I really like the, the street versions called the Pulse, and then the dual sport versions called the Origin which is a stupid. Yeah. Look at that. A single-sided spoked wheel. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I I think as electric bikes go more attractive than a lot of the electric bikes that I've seen out there. Oh yeah. Um, you know, we're on our third spider. I've been real pleased with them. I know they're probably not the same level of reliability as a Japanese bike, but Overall, uh, I'm kind of a BRP fanboy. So I am very surprised that an electric spider hasn't been like one of the first things that they've introduced, just because you have more space for battery and things. And you don't have to worry about it extra weight making it unwieldy to handle. Right. Yeah, right. I, I agree. I think the biggest problem is spider people go long distances. Yeah. Uh, having an electric spider that you can only take around the city. You know, you can't split lanes. You right. can't go park on the sidewalk. I, yeah. I, I think it's just, it's the worst of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> I know people already say that about Can-Ams in general. Out in California, they're not very popular in Europe because you can't lane split. You can't filter through traffic on them. Right. Yeah, but those are attractive looking electric motorcycles. I think 
by the looks of the tread width on the off-road bike, it looks like it'll probably be kind of closer to a uh, kind of like an XR650 KLR650 size and performance. They've announced that they're direct drive. There's no transmission mm-hmm. uh, and they're going to have level two charging. Yeah. But as far as the hard numbers of range, speed, weight, all that's up in the air. Yeah. Off the top of your head, do you know on a live wire what the range is, like a realistic range? I know it varies very widely with how you drive it, how gentle you are with it. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's like 90 to 120 miles, something like that. I, it, it's okay. less than you really would want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask you about your uh, the ugly RZ. Yeah. Um, I haven't worked on it or anything. So it's just kind of been sitting in the wayside, but I stripped it all down. Right. And then just like basically kept all the pieces that I was going to use. I did get a set of pistons for it and all the stuff to rebuild the crankshaft. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize the engine needed a rebuild. Um, it could go back together the way that it was. But for me, and just having so much experience with those engines, it's, I mean, a two-hour job, honestly, to disassemble the whole thing. I'm so jealous of you. I am so jealous. But I've done it so many times with that exact engine that it's just, I mean, it's a really simple process Hmm. for the the setup that I have. So I'm not going to use the cylinders. It has... um, you know, it has original RZ cylinders that have been ported and, and they're not ruined. They can be fixed, but I don't want to use them. I'll just use a set of Banshee cylinders and I'll just, um, are they interchangeable? Same head and cylinders and everything? Yes. Or, or cases? Uh, yes. They bolt directly on. The only difference is the, the RZ head matches a different shape to the top compression ratios are not really that much difference between them, but not to mention I adjust all that anyways. So it really makes a difference. Um, but yeah, Banshee cylinders go right on. Um, I just figured out what you need. What's that? You need to get a TZR250 or not, no, not, no, <laughs> TDR, a TDR250 dual sport with the... Yeah, well, we might have to talk to Abby about <laughs> finding one of those. <laughs> oh, ah, yes, and... I want to talk to him about uh, what it would take to get one of the little 250 katanas from, from Japan. Yeah. That, that's uh, yeah. I, I'd been thinking about a 250 four cylinder for a long time. And I always wanted a phaser yep. with my car, by the way, uh-huh. my car's fixed. Oh, good, 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 good. The Kazashi's back. I, I got my used sensor good. from that. I ordered from Sweden mm-hmm. that I paid $60 for two days after my mechanic called and he said he had a new one. So I wasted 60 bucks on a wheel speed sensor from Europe that I didn't end up needing. But anyways, with my experience with that, I'm like, I don't want a bike that I can't get parts for. Yeah. They sold that 250 Katana forever and they're all over the place still in Japan. Yeah. They made the same bike long enough that there's plenty of parts for it. I'm like, Oh, that'd be a really cool little bike. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll have Abby on next month. Mm-hmm. Abby 
Swarapa, if I am saying that correctly, from uh, Bike Curious, who's been, a, I, I look back, our last episode when we had him on was five and a half years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we will have him on next month. And uh, if you got nothing else, we can wrap up. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us and listening to our podcast this and every month. And uh, we will be back with a super extra special guest episode next month. And maybe I'll try to set up Jimbo. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This is August, September, maybe October. We'll yeah. have we'll have Jimbo and we'll, we'll talk about big adventure bikes and what he would recommend for you. Cool. Okay. Well, we'll see you all again next month. So long. <laughs>